Welcome to the Really Useful Podcast. I'm Christian Corley and this is Ben Stegner. We're both uh, writers at MakeUseOf.com. Uh, we also happen to be editors, but that's by the by. And uh, we're here to talk to you about ways in which you can make the technology you're using more usable, more useful, and stop it sort of taking over your life. Be more productive rather than waste time checking settings and all that kind of that's nonsense. Right. Uh, this week's uh, Really Useful Podcast is um, we're going to look at how to blur backgrounds on Skype, how to declutter Twitter the Marie Kondo way. So if you've got loads of people that you follow on Twitter and have realised that maybe that's not such a good idea, then uh, we'll show you how to sort that out. We're going to uh, have a chat about uh, awesome websites that offer free college courses online. Um, We're also going to be looking at some um, dark web, what is it and uh, whether or not the uh, Experian dark web scan is something that you should be using if you're concerned about where your accounts are being traded because uh, that does happen. That's how uh, one, of, one of the ways you get a lot of spam emails is via sure. that kind of trading. And um, which portable game console is um, the best option to buy? Uh, it's a lot to get through. We're going to uh, we're going to be brave and and go for it uh, straight away. The um, blurring the background on Skype thing. Now, if you're uh, watching the video version of this on YouTube, and uh, you can because we're there on YouTube. Um, hello uh, to our uh, many thousands of subscribers. Thank you for um, subscribing to us. You will see that our backgrounds are both blurred. They are. Which is a little weird. <laughs> it, it does. It does. I mean, I think yours looks quite nice. I, uh, looking I, at your like thumbnail in the corner, like the the full screen version looks a little fuzzy, but the corner one looks like really nice, probably because right, it's okay. like a quarter of the size. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yours, yours is probably the same, I imagine. Yeah, that makes sense. But what we have both noticed is it kind of looks like we're both sat in front of a green screen, and yeah, then a, like... a and then a you know then a background has been put in of of a I mean no one would choose this background obviously, but. I mean, how do you feel about it? I mean, is this something do you think that you use going forward? Podcast, so I might. Um, I see that it has use. You know, if you're like hopping on a business call and you don't want to have to tidy your background, or that there's something on like a board behind you that you don't want people to look at. Um, I think it's an easy way to kind of reduce any clutter in the back and keep the focus on you but it seems pretty nice it seems like it doesn't like headphones so if they tweak anything it seems like the headphones kind of blur into the background but yeah for a a one-click toggle i don't i don't think it's too bad yeah it is i mean it is surprisingly easy to do basically when you're on a video call or, or before you start the video call in skype you open the settings menu go to the audio video view and you'll see uh, beneath your preview, it says blur my background and just click the switch and uh, that blurs your background. Yep. You can see Easy. it kind of like real time in the preview yeah. in the corner. It'll just it'll show you it so you can see how it looks quickly. And then, yeah, so that's what it looks like without. I'll yeah. do mine too. Yeah, so I have mine on and then I take it off. Put yeah. it back on. I mean, it's, yeah. It looks like I said, it looks better in the preview. But yeah, it's worth, worth a try if you don't want to have to worry about buying like a absolutely absolutely so uh, yeah i'll try that it's there to use um i don't whether it's going to improve skype for you uh immeasurably but uh, it's a useful little feature to have now we're um what we're going to move on to next we're going to have a look at the um the, the twitter thing i think so yeah 
Okay. Taking out the trash on Twitter. There's a lot of it about. Uh, Marie Kondo's obviously um, become quite popular over the past couple of years with her uh, kind of... What, what is it? Is it kind of... It's, it's kind of a, a modern take on feng shui really isn't it i i think yeah i actually it sounds kind of embarrassing i guess because she's been pretty popular but i honestly have not heard of her before like the last couple of weeks um like we had that we were talking about an, an article idea for it so yeah the way i understand it it's like a decluttering your life um mainly with like getting rid of things that don't like bring you joy i guess so it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. negative things which i guess is kind of the, the feng shui um appeal so yeah it seems like you can apply this to your digital life as well this is one well, way to do it as as one of my um old relatives always used to say to me when i was younger tidy desk tidy mind i think it's an extension of that isn't it uh so if you're a um the type of person who follows a lot of people on twitter which um that's a whole other conversation really isn't right. it? right getting uh, down how many people you follow yeah yeah uh yeah, I mean, this is a good way of, of, of doing that, is of tidying things up using a uh, a tool called Tokimeki Unfollow, which uses Marie Kondo's Con Marie method uh, to pare down the number of people you follow on Twitter to the bare minimum. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, have you tried this? What is the bare minimum, do you think? I haven't tried it, um, but I think what's interesting about the tool is that it when you look when you use it it shows you just um the people's most recent like three tweets or something and so you're you're supposed to decide if you want to stay stay following them or unfollow them just based on those tweets um i guess the idea is that you know like a friend that you know in real life who you might follow or you know some celebrity or something you followed for years because they're them i think the idea is that you're going just based off their tweets and not oh, I really like this person or, oh, this person was in a movie that I enjoyed or whatever. So yeah. bare minimum, I don't know. Twitter, I've talked about Twitter lists before. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show. Twitter lists are a really great way to divide up the people you follow. So you can look at like, you know, sports news or politics news or whatever you want to do um, instead of having this giant feed of all the people you follow. But I would say if you can get it between like maybe 100 and 200, that's probably a good middle ground but it depends because different tweet different accounts tweet more or less often so i don't think there's yeah. any like golden number well do you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna check my uh how many five many followers you have yeah i'm just gonna check my what right that's the most bizarre message i've ever seen um i'm just gonna check my Twitter. I just received a text message that looks like a scam, but it actually doesn't. It actually isn't a scam. Uh, okay, so my Twitter is my personal Twitter. I follow two hundred eighty-two people. I follow six hundred and seventy, which wow. is probably a lot. But I would say probably a good number of those are probably not active. Like I followed them years ago, and they yeah. haven't tweeted anything in years. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. But the other thing, too, I wrote an article about this recently. This is a, kind of a different topic, but Twitter recently changed uh, your timeline options, too. So now, instead of going with the curated timeline that they've had for a while, where it kind of, like, picks out the best tweets to show you first, you can turn it back to the chronological timeline, where it's just yes, straight yes. order. You see the newest tweets first. So when you turn off that algorithmic timeline, 
Twitter doesn't show you quite as much like noise. Like it'll say, you know, oh, this person that you follow liked this tweet or 37 people that you follow, follow this person. Like you don't get that stuff in the chronological timeline. So that can help kind of declutter the amount of noise in your feed as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And just using the mute tool for particular accounts. Sure. That can help. I've, I, um, I do this thing on Twitter, which basically you know, a lot of people say, don't at me. When when they they offer an opinion, what I do is I kind of um, commando attack, commando raid a thread with a few choice cuts, uh, and then I mute the conversation. And you know, you know, I put my side forward, put my thoughts forward, and I don't really, unless I go looking for that thread again. You know, that's yeah, life's too short to be getting into stupid arguments on Twitter, quite frankly. So yeah. Um, there are lots of other ways that you can keep Twitter more productive than it that, that than leaving it to kind of leaving the weeds to grow, so to right. speak, and cause problems, can't it? So yeah, the the Comarine method, the Tokimeki unfollow tool, that's just one of many ways that you can keep Twitter under control and spend right. as little time on it as possible because you know you don't want to be wandering around stone at your phone all day because there's actual people in the room or on the bus, right? And it's just the less people you follow, the less chance there is that you'll see something that makes you at mad and get into the whole rant and argument. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OK, let's move on from that. And uh, now I'm a little bit lost because I know we, we, we had we had a game plan and uh, my, my tablet's being a bit slow. So I'm trying to scroll through what was supposed to come on there. help me ben what's next well we were going to talk about the best sites for free online college courses next ah yes okay thank you sure um i will make use of colleague megan ellis has uh, compiled this great list of eight websites that offer free online courses very detailed in-depth um like going to college standard courses basically um the difference being that you don't pay or you pay very little and you don't get full accreditation but if you pay a lot then you do get full accreditation have you tried any of these i have not um i wrote an article a bit ago about coursera which did make the list um i I looked at some of those courses i picked out one of them i think i picked out ones that were related to like systems learning and it or like ai Another one I just picked out, ones that sounded cool to me. Um, I, it was a, right around the start of the school year. It was like in August. So a lot of the courses were still open and accepting students. And I was impressed with a lot of them. I mean, I didn't take any of them, but just looking at the like, trailer, what they were going to cover, it seemed very interesting. And being able to learn from professors at actual universities mm. and colleges is, is pretty cool. So if I I thought about it, but I thought I don't really want to commit to it at, at that time, but it would definitely be something to check out. Okay. If you, if you just want to, if you want to learn and you, like, I think the thing is you can learn a lot online, but sometimes depending on how you learn that structure of like, you know, I have class at this time, or even just, I have these 10 lessons to get through instead of just learning from like random videos on YouTube. I think that structure can really help. Yeah, sure. Sure. I agree. I've used, um, is it open? No, I've used future learn. I've done a couple of um, short courses on future learn about, Hmm. It would have been writing related, but I can't remember whether it was script writing or and screenplays, or whether it was was it more literature based. I can't recall. Um, 
these days I don't have the time. This is about two or three years ago before my uh, youngest daughter was born. Uh, so there was there was a few hours left in the week for that kind of thing. But I have also um, I've actually studied with the Open University who are behind Open Learn, and um, my uh, my IT qualifications are from the Open University. So. They they have good experience in that because they you know they've been doing distance learning which is essentially what this is. Um, sure, you know, sure. They've been doing distance learning since the 1960s. Uh, wow. When open, yeah, when the Open University was launched, so uh, they're kind of experts in that area. But there are, I mean, you know, you've got um, you've got Harvard Online, your Open Learners mentioned Future Learn, you've got Stanford Online, so a bit you know big universities. You've got Coursera, Carnegie Mellon, Open Learning. MIT, OpenCourseWare, and EDX. You've basically got establishments and services and topics covering pretty much anything you would want to study, I think. Yeah, that's what I think what kind of stood out. It's not just like college courses like chemistry or whatever you would learn. It's like how to budget your money or how to be a yeah. better communicator, like life skills too. So there's definitely something no matter what you're looking to learn. Absolutely. So um, if, if you're looking to study, it's the beginning of a new year, maybe you're thinking you need to do a new course in 2019 and you've looked at your bank account and think, oh, can't afford that. Well, take a look at this selection of uh, eight websites and as ever, the show notes that accompany the uh, the really useful podcast, they called it the Universal Podcast, which could be something completely different. The uh, show notes that accompany the Really Useful podcast will provide links to the Make Use Of ad- articles. Sure, with more uh, info. With more information, absolutely. Right, I'm going to hand the next one over to you, Ben. Okay. Talk about the Experian Dark Web Scan. So uh, I recently wrote an article about the scan you may have seen. Um, if you're not familiar, first we'll talk about the dark web briefly, and then I'll talk about this scan. So sure. uh, the, the dark web essentially is – so the, the surface web or the web that we know how to access is what's accessible by visiting a website directly, typing it into your browser, or by searching on Google. But there's a whole subset of the internet called the dark web that are websites you can't access by visiting them directly or searching for them on Google. You need to have special software, and you need to go looking for these websites specifically to find them. So the dark web, the name kind of fits because a lot of the stuff on the dark web is shady activity. You know, you get people selling stolen information, selling drugs, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so a lot of it is not uh, something that most most people are going to need to look for or go looking for. So uh, in the past couple of years, you've had Experian, which is a credit bureau in the U.S., and other, company, and other companies offering these dark web scans that offer to um, scan for your information on the dark web and let you know if they find your social security number or your credit card number or whatever. Um, so at first glance, you might think, you know, this sounds like a good idea. As people, might be, people might be trading my info on the dark web and I wouldn't know about it. Um, but as it turns out, most people for most people, these services are really not worth it because by the nature of the dark web, you're really not able to like scan for transactions or anything like that because the dark web isn't 
interconnected like the web that we know is. So what these services really do is that they scan like dumps of information that are leaked and they, they look and say, okay, was your, was your password in here? Was your social security number or email, whatever. And then they let you know if they found anything. Um, I actually went through the free scan when I wrote the article and it didn't find anything about me that I didn't already know was involved in a leak. There was a breach on Patreon a couple of years ago, but there's a free website called Have I Been Pwned, which is made by a security researcher named Troy Hunt that'll do the same thing for free. You type your email address in, and then it'll let you know if your email address was found in any breaches. So if you see a commercial for this scan or you see an ad forward online, it's really not worth paying them money to essentially do what you can do for free because um, it's, it's, they, they can't scan the entirety of the dark web. That's just impossible. Sure. There's a few things about this which I find uncomfortable. There's the, the I mean, the, the, the whole sort of um, promotional material. Is your information on the dark web? Find out with a free dark web triple scan, as if that's sort of like, you know, we're going to scan it three times, but right. they're not. They're just, it's a one-time scan for a social security number, email, and phone number. Which, so, right, and the only thing, I mean, email and phone number, I mean, yeah, you'd rather not have that stuff floating around, but I mean, just because somebody has your email address doesn't mean exactly. it's not really a security breach. But I, th- I think the other thing that I'm uncomfortable with is, oh, look, you get a free Experian credit report every 30 days. Like, hold on, the, you know, you're advertising a, a service that's supposedly about privacy, personal privacy, but what you're actually doing is expanding your reach for your credit yep. report service. Yep. That's and that's how I felt when I signed up for it because I didn't have I mean I've I've had an account to like freeze my credit, but I didn't have an account for this. But when you sign up for the free dark web scan, that's what pops up. You know, you sign in, you you create your account, and then it, it comes up and says, you know, you need to pay to unlock your credit report history and all this. So it's just it's just it feels like they've added a facet onto their existing subscription to be trendy, you know, we can scan the dark web for you because they just want you to pay. It's like 10 bucks a month. Um, And the other thing is too, I mean, if they find something like, oh, your social security number was in this breach or whatever, what they're probably going to do is recommend that you freeze your credit, which you can already do. Um, That used to cost money. It was in some states, it was like 10 bucks to freeze and unfreeze your credit. As of the end of 2018, it's free everywhere now. So if you're worried, you know, that we had that huge Experian breach or excuse me, Equifax breach a couple years ago um, that put all kinds of people's info out in the wild. So if you're worried about that, you can freeze your credit for free. You have to do it with all three agencies, Experian, Equifax and TransUnion. It takes a little bit of time because you have to like, you know, answer those credit questions like to prove that you're you. But once you do it, your report's frozen. So even if someone stole your social security number, they'd have to have a unique pin that you create in order to unfreeze your credit. So I, I guess the, um, the 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 result of this, the the takeaway is you can do this without signing up to experience. So don't bother. Essentially, yeah. I mean, that you could I uh, to give them the benefit of the doubt, they could be looking for things that like have I been pwned, the free search doesn't do. So, I mean, it might do something, but my free search didn't come up with anything. So, I have no reason to believe that whatever Experian is searching is anything better than what the have I been pwned website can search. Okay. Okay. Um full details on that as mentioned before, you'll find in the show notes on uh 
this week's podcast. I should um, add that we, we've recently moved. Um, so last week's podcast uh, was updated to iTunes a little later. Uh, it is now on iTunes and expecting this one to go straight through. We've changed our host. We're using uh, the Transistor FM service now for the really useful podcast. It's a great little service which enables us to um, put things out quickly and it also, as mentioned, facilitates the YouTube upload. It takes a... The massive bunch of um, it's like the publishing side of things for the podcast, it just automates it, which is absolutely fantastic. So that's worth checking out. If you are a podcaster, do check out Transistor. I'm not, I'm not being paid to say that. I'm just suggesting it, it's worth looking at. Okay. Right. Is it portable game consoles? It is. That's our it next is. topic, yeah. Okay. Um, look, well, I'll tell you what, before you get onto this, I've, I've got a portable game console. Okay. Which I know you've been dying to see, even though you've forgotten about it since I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Um, which is this is the clockwork. Okay. Um uh the the uh, the game shell I beg your pardon, from Clockwork Pie, and it's kind of a retro design, looks like a uh, obviously it looks like a Game Boy. Sure. And yeah, it does. Uh, it's actually if you if you can see the back there, you can see where I've written retro stuff, it's actually modular. So the display and the main board and the battery and the control component and the audio component, which is just in here, can all be removed and upgraded separately. Oh, okay. And it comes up, if I just undo this knob here and this knob here, it will come apart. There's a giveaway I'll make use of for one of these. I'm not sure if it's been won yet. It's uh, probably due to end soon. See, um, so this will come out and then I can take each of these components out, you see. Okay. So what would you like if you swapped like the audio, what would it like would it be like just a more powerful audio processor? I think at the moment there is nothing to upgrade. Okay. Um but yeah, the the, the idea is that yeah, you if you maybe a, a better screen comes along, you can just pop that in. Uh um it's it it's compatible with Pico 8 as well, so you can which is a, a virtual console environment where you can create your own games. Oh. And it also and it also runs the majority of retro stuff um it comes with uh doom do i mean doom or do i mean whatever the doom open source version is called yes i do mean that uh but there's a load of stuff i mean a load of stuff will run on it um it's a great little thing uh three hour battery isn't great could do have been a bit longer i think but overall it's uh it's cool and there's a giveaway for it on make com, uh which i think is due to end soon but if it's still open it's worth checking out now listen Portable game consoles. You haven't got that on there. I, I'm guessing you got the Switch on there. But what what else is worth getting? Yeah. So um, we have the Switch, which obviously you're probably familiar with. It's Nintendo's newest console. It's just about two years old. It gets so weird in my mind. The Switch is still like six months yeah. old. Um, yeah. So the Switch is the hot uh, console right now because it is a like a home console and a portable hybrid. So um, you know you can dock it and play it on your TV, or you can take it on the go. Um, it's probably the best buy if you're looking for just one portable system. You don't have any. It's probably the best buy now because um, it's you know it's both systems in one and it has a future ahead of it. Um, a lot of the other systems I'll talk about in a second kind of have their best days behind them. So plenty of good games on them, but there's not a whole lot to look forward to. Um, but aside from the Switch, so the Nintendo 3DS is still an option. Um, the 3DS has been out since 2011. It had a slow start, but after a couple years, it got a ton of good games. It's been really well supported by Nintendo and indie developers and third-party developers. So 
Nintendo is still making games for the system as of this year, 2019. Um, but they're mostly like ports and remasters of like some Wii games. So, um, the, the 2DS, uh, excuse me, the 3DS, the best 3DS is the, the new 3DS XL. The naming is horrible. So the new systems have their, um, the 3D's better and they're a little bit stronger under the hood. So you can get that for 200 bucks. Um, the new 2DS XL is very similar, but it doesn't display in 3D. Um, despite the 3D being kind of like the gimmick of the 3DS, a lot of a lot of recent games don't actually use 3D because it was kind of a fad. So that's only 150 bucks. So you get a lot of great games. There's remastered Zelda games. There's a couple good Mario games. Um, a ton of RPGs, indie games on the Nintendo eShop. So if you're looking just for maybe something for uh, a kid, um, the two the regular 2DS is like 80 bucks and it comes with Mario Kart 7 and it's it's more it's designed to be you know, a little bit more thrown around for, for children. So that's a really great option. Again, the future is not too bright for it, but it has such a good library that it's, it's worth a look if you're a Nintendo fan, especially. And the, those DS, which I'll use for the short term, just in order to uh, make them feel a bit more relevant to those of us who don't play Nintendos. Um, they, they network, don't they? The, yeah, the 3DS, all the 3DS models have have an internet connection. Yeah, so you can play certain games online. You can download new games from the eShop. Yeah, yeah. And the, you can play. You can you can do network play as well within the same network as well, can't you? With them. Yeah, like local play. Yeah, yeah. Local, if a, yeah, yeah, yeah. if a game supports it, yeah, you can do. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you actually have to be. I don't think you have to be on Wi-Fi. It's just like if no, two no. systems yeah. are close enough. Yeah. yeah. So it does have that too. Um, the other main option is Sony's PlayStation Vita. Um, unlike the 3DS, the Vita kind of got off to a bad start and never really got off the ground. Um, and it had it, the promise of the Vita was like console quality games on a handheld. Um, and it has some good games, but Sony hasn't really done a whole lot with it. Um, so it's kind of just there. Um, they've announced they're going to discontinue making it and games for it this year. So, um, Mm. it'll probably become hard to find soon, but the big thing with the Vita is if you like Japanese games like RPGs and visual novels, there's a ton of them on the Vita. So it's right. it's a great investment. It's a really good way to play indie games too because there's a lot of indie games. If you've had PlayStation Plus, um, you've gotten free games every month for the Vita. So for the price, if you're interested in that type of, of genre, it's not, not a bad buy. The biggest problem with the Vita is that the storage memory cards are ridiculously expensive. They're like okay. four times more than they should be. Um, I wrote in the article, a 16 gigabyte memory card for the Vita costs like 40 bucks, whereas you can get a 32 gig normal SD card for like 10 bucks. So it's like highway robbery for the cards. But if you can get past that, it's not a bad system. It's again, it's pretty much uh, on its way out. But if you like the type of games on it, it's worth a look. And, of course, for portable gaming, there's always your phone, too. If you have an yeah. Android phone or an iPhone, there's a ton of games on there, and it's the, it's the device that's always with you. Now, of course, that you have the problem that a lot of games on there are loaded with ads and want you to pay every every five minutes, but there are there are some good free games. You just have to know where to look. Absolutely, yeah. I, mean, I was um, playing a lot of games recently for uh, for an article on Sega games on uh... yeah. On mobile and um a lot of those were um 
there was all like classic 90s and early 2000s Sega games, uh, Crazy Taxi and things like that. And um, I found that that those particular games had the choice of like have a pay version or an ad version, depending on how you want to proceed through the game, choose to pay or choose choose the ads. Um, the ads weren't too bad, but I, do, I, I mean, ads are a big problem in mobile gaming because I think there's this... For Android in particular, I think, it's not so much a problem with iOS, I don't think, because they had that kind of built in from the start. But with Android, there is this kind of expectation that games are going to be free. Yeah, I've never never quite understood that because it seems like developers can't win. Like if they make a free game that has ads or like it's free to start and you pay to unlock more levels, which I think is fine, people get upset. But then when you have a game like Super Mario Run that the Nintendo came up with or any number of games that cost two dollars, five dollars, people will say, well, I don't want to pay for a game on my phone. So like you can't yeah. I'd rather just pay a couple bucks and not have to worry about ads constantly yeah, yeah. or, you know, getting nickel and dime at every corner. So it, it really it seems like the expectation is interesting. You know, people have no problem paying $60 for a game on a console, but two dollars for a game on their phone is too much. Mm. So yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. It is a strange thing. I can't really compare it to anything other than maybe 30-odd years ago, uh, there was a line, it wasn't the only line, but it was the most popular line, of Commodore 64 games produced in the UK from a software house called Mastertronic. And they all sold for £1.99. And at the same time, there was games, you know, there's the full-price games going out at like 11 12 maybe 20 quid if they're on disc. Um, and the, the, it seems like the, it's the comparative... The, the only comparison I can see is like mobile games, two, 99p, two quid, whatever. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Console game or PC game, well, it's going to be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 quid, whatever. Right. It's, it's, the, it's the only comparison I can see with it. And maybe it feels that maybe the 8 bits were more disposable in the same way that maybe mobile games are more disposable. Because, in men, you know, you can easily wipe your mobile, you can easily lose your mobile phone, and then your game data goes. So maybe there's that... Maybe it's a completely different mindset to mobile gaming with a with a with a phone than there is. Yeah, game. I think it might be like you know when you buy like when someone buys a Switch or a 3DS or a, a PS4 or whatever like they're they're buying it to play games. So I think yeah. you know I want to play Uncharted, so I'm buying a PS4. I think with yeah. a lot of phone games, like it's not. I, I I'm buying an iPhone so I can play whatever. Like it's like oh I, there's all these games that are available so I might as well check one out. So it's not like uh you know I bought this device to play these games. It's just they're there and so if it's free I'll check it out but I'm not paying. Yeah yeah yeah. I mean I, I mean I've been playing Red Dead Redemption since Christmas and it's the only thing I will put on because because <laughs> it wasn't a cheap game. Right. <laughs> but that's but that's but i mean when you think about the value i mean when there are some games you know like a multiplayer game you might like i mean overwatch i bought overwatch what late 2016 and i still play it so you know you paid that one price and it's still still fun to play or like you know a big game like red dead but i mean if i if i pay two bucks for a phone game and it lasts me a couple hours i mean it's maybe not as much value for money for the dollar but i'd rather pay for a decent phone game than be put up have to put up with all the Sure. Stuff wanting you to pay. So I think it's just the mindset. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to, I'm going to say you've got all the consoles, all the handheld gaming options in front of you. Which one do you pick up? For, I would say, uh, yeah. So if, if you're not really worried about the cost, so I would say the Switch is the best because 
It has a great library already, indies and first-party Nintendo games. It's portable, and you can play it at home. The The biggest downside with the Switch is um, its its size isn't too great. So if you want to like keep it in like your, your purse or like your pocket, it's kind of big for that. Um, so if you're looking for like the console you can play for years to come, I would get the Switch. Otherwise, if you're looking for maximum portability, I'd go with the, with the 3DS or 2DS because it's okay. a little more portable and the battery life is better than the Switch. Vita, I would only go with if you are really interested in the type of games it has because anyone else is probably not going to be too interested. Okay. That would be my summary. Good choice. Good choice. Okay, then. Uh, do you think we've got time for one last one? Yeah, that's that's fine with me. Okay, then. Uh, right, well, Ben seems to spend a lot of time writing about games lately. Uh, <laughs> I think I have. <laughs> and... Um, there is there is a problem with games for PC users in particular in that, that it is difficult or it can be difficult if you never bought games say you're um, you've gone out and bought a game for a loved one you know they like games you know nothing about video games and you've bought them a game taken it home and it turns out that they can't play it because the hardware specification of the computer isn't suitable this isn't a problem that you get with games consoles unless you bought it for the completely wrong console it's not a problem that you get with mobiles unless you bought a game for the wrong mobile platform and that'd be difficult anyway because you're probably just going to buy them a card with credit on them to buy their own game so that's not going to happen anyway but with pcs it is a problem what is the best way i mean this as this must have happened to you at some point has it um I, I don't yeah I would say maybe like in college when I, I had like a weaker laptop and I would like there were some games I wanted to try like even just like a demo and I would try to play it and then it's uh, it's not gonna work so it's definitely happened to everyone I think at some point like you thought your computer was better than it is and then you can't run a game. I remember when uh, the Sims came out the very first edition of the Sims back in 1998 99 might have been before Ooh. and at the time the computer that I had wasn't an Intel processor. It wasn't an AMD processor. It was a Cyrix processor. I've never heard of that. Ah, yeah. Few people have. And um, it would run The Sims for about 15 minutes before either... um, And I I don't know why, because I wasn't particularly... I didn't have any particular expertise in computers in those days. It will either... It didn't run out of hard drive space, so it it would have been a graphics memory or processor issue, basically. So you'd get 15 minutes out of The Sims, and then it would crash. Not good. Maybe it overheated as well. I can't remember. But basically, um, the computer wasn't suitable enough to play this. The spec wasn't there for playing The Sims. So 20 years later, how do you get around that, Ben? Well, I would say first, separately from the article, if you're looking to buy a, a game or a gift for someone who plays on PC, I would say the safest option is probably just to get like a Steam gift card. Um, because for the vast majority of people, they're going to buy a game on Steam anyway if they buy it downloadable, which is how most PC games are. So I would say if you're looking to get a gift for a PC gamer, a Steam gift card, then they can decide which game to get and they'll have less of a chance of getting something that's not compatible. Um, but if you're the person who maybe just got a gaming PC or you're you're new to it and you're not sure what games you can run, um, the easiest way, there's a website called System Requirements Lab. They have a tool called Can You Run It, which you'll find if you just Google Can I Run It or in the article in the notes as we've talked about. Um, Essentially, it's really easy. You type in the game you want to play, and then you click Can You Run It, 
<clears throat> excuse me, and then it'll present, it'll tell you what specs you need to run it. But in case that doesn't mean anything to you, you don't know what kind of uh, RAM or how, how much video memory you have, you can run a really basic little tool. It'll scan your, your computer and it'll pick up what kind of hardware you have. And then it'll tell you, here's what you need. Here's what you have. You're good or you're not good. So it'll basically tell you line by line, your processor's good enough. Your video card's good enough, all that. And it'll tell you where you need to, uh, where you need to improve if it's not. So that's the easiest way. You can do it yourself manually too, but for most people, that tool is a really easy way to just check any game. And once you scan your computer once with it, you can go you can go on again and just look up a game and it'll just it'll do the same thing. It'll say the oh, game requires cool. this and you need that. So one thing to know too is that most games on PC have a minimum requirement and a recommended requirement. Minimum is typically like what you need to get the game to run. So even if your computer hits the minimum requirements, doesn't necessarily mean the game's going to run smoothly. It might might not crash, but it might freeze up or just not run very well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So usually it's better to hit the recommended requirements if you can for the best experience. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So um so that's that. Basically that's how to make sure the games that you're buying will run on your PC. It's also uh which is the best portable console that you should choose whether you should use experience triple dark web scan the triple scan and um where's the best place to find online courses that will actually change your life and we've also looked at skype and its new blurry backgrounds and we looked at a uh, another thing as well which at this moment in time completely escapes my mind we talked about decluttering twitter decluttering the twitter marie condo method Eggs, indeed it was indeed it was uh thank you for joining us dear listener um uh, or watching us mr viewer mrs yes. viewer um thanks ben for joining me absolutely it was fun it's definitely like it's been a bit so it's, it's good to be back on yeah absolutely it has been a while uh the really useful podcast will be back next week um anything that you found in the show that you think is of benefit to people that you know who aren't as uh, technically aware as you then please pass us on because that's what we're here for we're here to make technology gadgets phones tablets consoles everything easy for everyone without getting bogged down with the technical details so um tools tools like um the one we just discussed about getting games to to run for you um share the podcast with the people that you think it will benefit and um, let us know what you think get in touch with us uh, through the post on make use of where you'll be able to find this or or tweet me i am at the gadget monkey i'm ben you are at stegnersaurus on twitter s-t-e-g-n-e-r-s-a-u-r-u-s i should have a shorter and easier to say i love my handle that's what i use for most stuff but saying (laughs) it out loud sounds kind of ridiculous huh (laughs) It's it's a good handle. It's a good handle. And uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, it's goodbye. All right. Take care.